people of God in Christ, we tend to do a lot of review within sermon introductions, and I am cognizant of uh, the need to be careful that I don't over-review. Um, what finally is the difference between review and redundancy? Uh, I suppose the answer is to consider what is helpful, and it's often hard to know what is needed, uh, what will be helpful by way of review, but uh, to my comfort or my vindication in doing review is that God's Word often reviews. Um, I am sure you've, uh, you've been reading a passage in the Bible uh, in which you hear the story, and, and then just verses later you hear the story again as you hear one of the characters of the story retelling what has just happened. Or you hear a, a set of instructions given by God, and, and then you hear the exact same set of instructions uh, within the narrative of how they were carried out. Uh, such repetition is, is, is uh, God's word, um, or in God's word, is certainly not redundant. We wouldn't put that, uh, make that, uh, that characterization. Uh, and the repetition, um, uh, if it ought to be uh, taken should be taken as an emphasis. Uh, we trust that the, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Scriptures, wants us to hear exactly the, the full number of words that are given and used in God's Word. Well, such is the case this morning, um, because we've already heard the story of Joseph. It's amazing when you stop and, and consider uh, how much of the book of Genesis is given over uh, to the story of Joseph's life. But now we hear it in summary. And it's a, it's a brief summary, but it's, it's a summary within Jacob's prophecy regarding his son, Joseph. What do we do with uh, these verses and this portion of God's blessing upon his sons? We, we could say, well, we've already heard this. We, we know the story. Let's keep moving. But, uh, but if this summary, as we might call it, is recorded for us in Scripture, why not hear it uh, again? And, and why not consider what emphasis the Holy Spirit is giving and making in the Scriptures? So let's review. Remember that uh, Jacob is about to die, and uh, he's, uh, he's serving even as a prophet of God. And, uh, and he is pronouncing blessing upon his sons. He, he began by saying, Gather yourselves together, uh, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Remember also that some of his words to, uh, to four of his sons uh, don't really sound like blessings, uh, but even sound like curses for their sin. But remember that even though Judah had also sinned, uh, and yet the promise was given that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The line of Christ would pass through him and by way of his descendants. Well, then we heard six of, uh, of Jacob's sons together, the collection of uh, Jacob's prophecy depicting what we said last week, ordinary life in the, in the promised land. And uh, ordinary life for us as well. And so that brings us then to Joseph and Benjamin. And this is what Jacob had to say. First, the fruitfulness of Joseph. 
Jacob puts it this way in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. It's really, I think you can hear, quite poetic language. Uh, throughout his life, Joseph had, uh, had been like a, a bough, a branch from a, from a, a plant, uh, the plant drawing water from a, a nearby spring. And he has been fruitful in whatever he has done. And the fruit that he has borne has even run over the wall. Here we might think of Psalm 23. Uh, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Or as the, as the older versions say, my, my cup runneth over. Well, here Jacob is, is the bough, the branch that grows to such fullness that his fruit runs over the wall. The reference is to how Joseph was sold into slavery, but that even in Egypt he was fruitful. Indeed, his fruitfulness, the, the blessing that he was, extended to all Egypt. And in the end, it leaves us to, to wonder um, what Jacob meant by over the wall. Which direction was he thinking? The, the, the fruitfulness of Joseph in Egypt extending over the wall to his own family or the fruitfulness of Joseph as a man of Israel extending over the wall to Egypt. I have a kind of illustration of the illustration uh, in, in my garden this year. Uh, my pole beans did quite well. Uh, pole beans grow up a, a trellis, uh, in this case about six feet high, and when they reach the top, it's fun to watch them grow and to, and to watch their progress almost day by day. Um, so, but when they, when they reach the top uh, and when the vine uh, has nowhere else to go, it, it keeps going as much as it can and, and, and it begins to stick up above the the trellis uh, at the top and sometimes it sort of lays over and then starts to crawl along the the very top of the trellis but but some of those reaching um, vines fall to the side and um, and as they do they find perhaps somewhere else to go uh, in that direction and if there's anything that that the plant can reach the vine will will, will keep going and in my case, there's a, a fence quite nearby so that one of the vines this year reached the fence and kept growing on my neighbor's side of the fence. It's a, it's a privacy fence, about the same height as, as the trellis, so I couldn't see how far the, the vine kept going. Uh, neither did I know uh, whether there might be beans growing on the other side. And as I picked my beans on my side, I wondered if there might be a few, at least, beans for my neighbor on the other side. I, I doubt he even noticed uh, the vine or enjoyed any of, of those beans. But that's exactly the, um, the image that Jacob was using here to speak of Joseph's life. To begin with, Joseph had been uh, quite quite the perfect son, and, and much to the chagrin of his brothers. Uh, he was quite the perfect son, uh, even when he was still with his family in Israel. 
Uh, here we have to remember way back to how, how Joseph was sent by his father to check on how his brothers were doing with the family flocks. On one occasion, he had brought back a bad report concerning his brothers, which contributed to his uh, brother's ill opinion of him. But some of the commentators point out that, uh, that this was simply Joseph's role within the family, that, that he wasn't so much being a, a tattletale, but simply doing his job and, and serving his father. It would seem, at least it could be understood, that this was simply an, an early sign of, of Joseph's maturity. He, he was younger among his brothers, but perhaps he, uh, he had possessed a certain maturity. Maybe his brothers were, were, were indeed skimming some of the profits off the top, as we say, maybe selling some of the flock to passing merchants on, on their way to, to trade in Egypt. We know, of course, that they eventually sold Joseph as a slave to the passing merchants on their way to Egypt. And so continuing in Egypt, Joseph was fruitful. In, in Potiphar's household, uh, then being betrayed a second time by Potiphar's adulterous wife, while he, uh, uh, then while he was in prison, Joseph uh, had been fruitful, serving the head jailer and, and the other prisoners. Then coming out of prison, even serving Pharaoh directly, Jacob was always fruitful until his fruitfulness ran back over the wall to his own family. He even helped them move down to Egypt where they would be kept alive during the famine. The image is clear and and Jacob came to understand the the providence of God and and specifically how God had, had taken his favorite son away from him but had used Joseph to bless many people. Joseph is a fruitful bough, said Jacob. A fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. Can you see it? And it would seem that Jacob understood, indeed, that God had done this. Throughout the story, we are are told that the Lord was with Joseph wherever he went, however he served, the Lord was with Joseph so that Joseph was fruitful to serve and provide for many people throughout his life. God himself was the spring of water that made Joseph fruitful, just as in Psalm 46, the the river that makes glad the city of God is God himself. So maybe here is one last time before we finish Genesis to, to, do, to do two things with the story of Joseph. Uh, first, as we've done before, to, to see Christ in Joseph. The line of Christ would not pass through Joseph and his descendants. Again, it's a, it's a curious thing to see that Judah was chosen to carry the line of Christ. Judah, who had sold Joseph into slavery. Judah, the the black sheep of the family who left the covenant community and lived and even married among the the Canaanites. And yet it's Joseph who so clearly prefigures Christ. Christ, who was rejected by his own uh, 
Christ who remained faithful even as he was rejected. Christ who provided salvation even for those who rejected him, even for those who crucified him. Ultimately, in the end, it is finally Christ who is the fruitful, the fruitful branch that runs over the wall and who is the Savior for every people, for every nation on the earth. Second, a final time to see Joseph as an example for us. We tried to strike the balance in the story of Joseph. We, we always need to be careful not to read such stories with a, a be-like-this interpretation only. Be like Joseph, be like David, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. Instead, we need always to see that all of Scripture is about Christ, so that we always note the, the forward movement in God's Word toward Christ's coming. However, these are indeed good stories that set good examples for us, including Joseph. Are we prepared to be the branch that runs over the wall? Are we willing to serve others and to bear fruit? But if so, we, we too, like Joseph, will only be so fruitful as we are planted by streams of water, which is to say only as we do so by the Holy Spirit, only by the Spirit of Christ, Will we be like Joseph? Because the point is not finally to be like Joseph, but to be like Christ. But we will only be conformed to the likeness of Christ when we have first believed in Christ to be saved and to receive His Spirit to live and abide within us. Next, the second point is the suffering of Joseph. Jacob recounts as, uh, as well the, the suffering of Joseph. Jason, uh, Jacob said, The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Here Jacob would seem to be remembering the, the treatment that Joseph received from his own brothers, but also the attacks he endured in Egypt, the betrayal of Potiphar's wife, and the, and the years of Joseph's suffering in prison. This was not pie in the sky. Hey, let's just look on the bright side of things. Joseph's fruitfulness had come about in the midst of great suffering. And this is what points us to God himself as the source of, of Joseph's fruitfulness and, and how he had been a blessing to so many. Again, we see Christ so clearly in, in Joseph's life. Jesus was born in a barn, we can say. He was raised in poverty. In his ministry, he preached and taught the Word of God clearly, and, and despite his miracles to pour out tremendous blessing upon the people, yet he was rejected. And he never ceased to suffer, even eventually going to the cross. And the deepest of suffering, indeed, was, was on the cross. And yet Christ was, was providing blessing all the way along. Even the blessing of our forgiveness and our righteousness before God and our hope of eternal life. 
It's, it's counterintuitive, as we say. It's, uh, it's not what we would, would expect. It's, it's not the way of this world, fallen in sin. But it's God's way for the sake of His justice and His grace. That blessing comes by suffering. We see it in the life of Joseph. We, uh, we see it in the life and ministry of Jesus. So that we should see it as well in our own lives. Suffering, struggles, difficulties, setbacks, failures, all can be seen and must be understood as belonging to the sovereignty of God and to the providence of God. We see it over and over again in Scripture, and, 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 and yet we have such a hard time accepting it in our own life. And so we grow discouraged. We are given even at times to despair. When we, when we ought to know that suffering, so the suffering of God's people always has a purpose. And it's not a hindrance. It's never a hindrance to what God is doing and what He will yet do in each of our lives. And so this third point, the hands of God. Verse 24 Uh, In verse 24, we hear that Jacob continued to speak of Joseph, yet his bow remained unmoved, uh, remained uh, unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Here Here is Jacob's direct, unambiguous confession of faith that it was the Lord who had done all that had happened in the life of Joseph. Yes, there, there is high praise here for, for Joseph himself, but, but was Jacob really praising Joseph? It might be better to say that Jacob was noting Joseph's success, certainly giving honorable mention, as we say, to Joseph himself. But in the end, he's giving the praise to God. His bow remained unmoved, but it was because his arms were made agile And who was it who made the arms of Joseph agile so that he remained faithful under fire by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob? And then here is perhaps the clearest reference to the coming Christ in this portion of God's word. The the ESV even capitalizes the word shepherd and the stone of Israel to signal that this is Christ no sooner was Jacob made, or, or had he made reference to the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, but he, but he confesses that it would be from him, from, from Jacob, but not from Joseph, that the Christ would come. So as much as Joseph had been blessed, as much as Joseph had been, had been a blessing to others, Yet Joseph himself and his descendants would be blessed with the blessings of heaven above, and these blessings would come from the deep that crouches beneath. It's time to blush here a little bit, because this is a reference to the male anatomy. This is a reference to the male reproductive organs. Even as uh, he is more explicit about the reference to the blessings of the breast and and of the womb. 
And it becomes more clear when, when he said, The blessings of your father are mightier than the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. It's, it's highly poetic. Some of it is euphemistic, as we've said. But the point is this, the child that they were all waiting for was yet to come. And while Joseph was Jacob's favorite, Joseph did not turn out to be the one. While Joseph had been a fruitful branch, a blessing to many, yet, J- yet Jacob knew that the, that the wait must continue. Jacob had already prophesied that the scepter would not depart from Judah. And here Jacob makes it clear that the scepter would not come from Joseph, but the blessing of Judah would one day come to Joseph. There's another, I think, wonderful image here. It's it's the bounties of the everlasting hills. Uh, The word bounties should remind us of the story. Uh, There had been a famine in the land, but bountiful food had been found in Egypt. Remember that Joseph had been instrumental in, in storing up that bounty. And remember that the bounty stored up by Joseph had saved the lives of his family. But here is another bounty. A bounty yet to come. And, and it's not just the bounty of Egypt, but the bounty of the everlasting hills. It's even an eternal bounty, in other words. And again, while it, while it would come by way of uh, it would come by way of Jacob, it would not come through Joseph, so that Joseph becomes the one blessed rather than the one who blesses others. The eternal blessing of salvation is what is being noted here and prophesied here. The eternal blessing of salvation would come even to Joseph's descendants through Jacob but then through Judah and ultimately by Christ. Finally, then, the vindication of Rachel. There is one more of his sons for Jacob to speak of, Benjamin. And this is what Jacob said, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Well, like the middle six prophecies uh, here, it's hard to understand why Jacob would assign this prophecy to Benjamin in particular. But I think the thing that is clear is that he is speaking of Benjamin, the second of his favorite sons. Jacob had come to see that Joseph, his first favorite, would not be the one, and neither would the one come from his descendants. Instead, Joseph would be blessed by the one coming from the Lion of Judah. But now he makes it clear that neither would Benjamin, the other of his favorite sons, neither would Benjamin be the father of the one who is to come. But why call this the vindication of Rachel? It's because there is a a piece of closure provided here, I think. Remember that when Benjamin was born, his birth came even as um, 
even by the, the death of his mother. And Rachel, his mother, having given birth to him, and just before he di- she died, she named him, her son, Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The Hebrew also allows that it could mean son of my strength. But either way, Rachel knew that she was dying, and she was naming her child according to her sorrow and the last outpouring of her strength and her life. But Jacob, if you recall, came along and renamed Rachel's son Benjamin, meaning son of my right hand. In the end, Rachel was more right than Jacob. In the end, Rachel is vindicated in naming her son Benoni, son of my sorrow. And brothers and sisters, we we too need to see that left to ourselves, all our hopes, all our strength, all our strategies, all our plans, all our expectations are but sorrow in this life. There is, a, there is a very right and, and proper despair that must, that must be felt when, when we live and work in this world, when we, when we look at ourselves, when we, when we look at the world around us. Even as we live in this world, there's, there's a very right and proper, a right and fitting despair so that our only hope must be the scepter of Judah. Our only hope is the one whom God foreshadowed by his blessing, by Jacob's blessing uh, upon, uh, upon Joseph. And, and by speaking of our only hope, the, the point is not to say that, that our our hope in Christ is at all uncertain. It's, I'm not saying, well, we can only hope. No, it's a, it's a sure hope that we have, and, and, and we should be more certain. We should be more certain of Christ's coming than Jacob was. Jacob spoke of his sons in, in terms of the one who was to come. His faith was firm, even as his faith had been corrected in some very important ways. But we live in the fulfillment of God's promise for the coming of Christ. For us, the one has come so that we should be more certain of Christ and of his salvation than even Jacob was. And we too wait. We wait while experiencing sorrow and and disappointment in this life. But we wait in hope. And we wait with a sure hope of Christ coming again. So let us not lose hope, but continue to believe and hope in the promises of God, the promises of the gospel. Christ is the one. And he has come. And he is coming again. And he will share with us 
His glory. He will share with us His reward. He will share with us the bounties of the everlasting hills. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you that we live in the day of fulfillment. O God, our Father in heaven, that you have sent your Son. We see uh, the promise of his coming, the the progress of his coming throughout the the Old Testament. And we thank you that we have a, a New Testament as well, that we can hear of Christ's coming, that he is the one, he is the promised one, he is the one who... Um, who never failed but always succeeded. Uh, He is the one who brings to us the bounty of the everlasting hills. Uh, Grant that we would uh, lay hold of him by faith and uh, not leave here except that we go uh, rejoicing in him and uh, looking forward to his uh, glorious return. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.